Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back. This is your host, Ken Corn speaking. So what's trending in the data space? This is our topic for today, and I'm delighted to welcome back Oliver Klander, the commercial lead at Olivera, who also has 15 years of experience in media, data, and technology. We had a great chat with Oliver about a year ago and the demise of the third-party cookie. I look forward to learning more about how this has evolved since we spoke. Now, as you know, data is a new oil. But how has the landscape changed? How are the brands adapting to this? And is this the new norm? As some of the questions I posed to Oliver. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Oliver. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Listen, we got a fantastic response the last time. So it's really my pleasure to have you on again. Um, let's see. Let's see after we post it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, for the benefit of the audience, please do give us a recap a bit about who is Oliver Klander. Oh, uh, well, yeah. So obviously I've been in digital for a number of different years. I was fortunate enough to remember when um, AOL and AutoVista were the main search engines and Google was this little thing coming out of out of the States and nobody quite understood what the name was. But I, you know, I love data. I love targeting. I love understanding a little bit more of a breadth of consumers and consumer inst- interactions. And when we last spoke, I was, I was heading up a creative tech proposition, a new creative tech proposition. And I transitioned away from that to LiveRamp, which is a, a company that I absolutely love. I've been watching for a very, very, very long time to head up a, a new proposition called Safe Haven. And the reason behind that is because, you know, the data landscape has changed and it's changed significantly over the past 18, 24 plus months into something that's, I think it's really, really exciting because, you know, moving aside from the sort of the demise of the third party cookie or the, the rolling out of deprecation of the cookie within Chrome, cookies have been defunct for a while. So it's not really a new thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I love the space. Actually, just uh, thank you, Oliver. Just on that point, maybe we, just, maybe we can touch on that third party cookie first since we last spoke. I mean, could you give us, give us a couple of brief updates on what's happened since we spoke well, on that point? I mean, Google announced um, the delay of the deprecation of the cookie up until 2023, which meant that the industry, as it always does, goes, okay, so we've got some time. So let's go back to doing what we were doing before. So some impetus was left, right? And people sort of slightly took their foot off the gas at looking at things like, you know, cookie-less solutions, authenticated traffic solutions, you know, ID solutions. And sort of that momentum hasn't started again, but I think in 2022, you're going to see quite a bit of a change. I think people will suddenly realize, oh, we haven't got as long left as we wanted to, to find out what the solutions are. And um, we're definitely going to see a, a move towards this 
cookie-less space, but more importantly, how do we connect with consumers in a compliant way through authenticated solutions? And when I talk about authenticated solutions, it's you know logged in users on one site to logged in users on another site. So if you think of you know you've got a CRM base of members of a million people, they're logged in, you've got their details, they're consented, and they've opted into your marketing options. And then you've got a big publisher who's got a paywall behind their logins, and right. that same user is logged in elsewhere. So you then can target those two, that user, because you've got an authenticated solution between the two points. So I think that's going to be big. You know, LifeRamp's got a phenomenal solution for authenticated traffic. And there are a few other players within the space that are really interesting. So I think that's definitely going to be something that happens. Scale is going to be the most important point. Can you make it scale? Right. And that's always going to be the question that people are going to ask. They're going to say, have you got enough reach? Is there enough volume? And can I scale that proposition? I wonder how big a challenge you see with that scaling. Look, scale is a is a challenge that's twofold. Scales needed from the brand. They need to reach, you know, a significant number of potential or current customers. Right. For advertisers and publishers, for publishers they need to see the scale as in the brands that are activating on it as well. So it's almost a bit like a, it's not a chicken and egg. It's a, how many brands want to conduct that versus how many publishers want to conduct that. And you've got to marry those two up together. Supply and demand. It's that old okay. adage of supply and demand. Okay. Interesting. Just going back to the demise, because do you know why um, Google delayed it? Was there any reason for that? Listen, there was a number of different things. Google talked about technology. They talked about whether their proposed solutions were ready. They talked about whether the industry was ready for it. So there's multiple different arguments for that. It's happened. I think it's almost like those are the questions that five people in digital could discuss all night long and not come to a, not come to a consensus. And it's like, it's conjecture. It's hypothesis of why they've done it. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Okay. Well, let's, let's get back to the main topic at hand. I mean, the whole layer change in the data landscape and what has changed over the last 18 to 24 months. Could you talk us through a bit more about this? Yeah, I mean, look, the data landscape has started to evolve into something quite interesting. I think we've, we spoke about it before. You and I have spoken about it. You know, I always said we were going to see the rise of walled gardens over and above your typical walled gardens of like Google, Facebook, Snap, TikTok, all of the different media networks that are out there. But we're seeing it now happen within the retail space. So it was there with Nectar, Sainsbury's Nectar 360, Tesco Dunhumby. You're now seeing the emergence of Boots Media Group. We've got Walmart, Target, the work that's being done in um, 11 different markets with Carrefour, and that's a partnership between Carrefour and LiveRamp. So we're seeing that retailers are setting up their own media networks, which are essentially walled gardens that offer insights into shopper behavior, shopper characteristics, basket purchase. So you've got this new access to a consumer that that's actually is phenomenally important, right? Because 
more insights and more knowledge delivers a better marketing experience. Right. And what do you, what sorry, you call it the retail? Sorry, you have a name for the, the term you mentioned a moment ago. It's the retail... Media network. Yes. So this is the new yeah. term. This is completely new. So literally in the last 18 months, this is new terminology. Well, it's, I don't think you can say it's new terminology. I just don't okay. think it's not been... It's not a discipline that was vast, right? Because there wasn't necessarily a huge amount of value necessarily attached to it. But I think, you know, coronavirus is a really, really interesting thing because, you know, prior to coronavirus, you had, you know, big brands, big CPGs that were being, you know, they were being impacted by the rise of new private label brands, uh, new D to C brands, direct to consumer across multiple different verticals, which meant that they had to do more than just work with retailers or resellers to shift units or products. They had to find a new way to engage with with a consumer, a consumer that was driven to buying online, right? So the rise of online buying was huge. And the the diminishing brand loyalty that people had for brands was fueling that. And then coronavirus came along. And nobody could go into shops, right? So you, you, were, you were impacted by a double whammy. You had a, an audience that was already shifting towards buying online and trying new brands and new private label brands to suddenly everybody had to do it. So your demographics were changing. Your targeting of consumers was changing and the whole makeup was. So that ultimately shifted power to a lot of different places. But more importantly, retailers needed to add more value into consumer insight, and they hold a huge volume of data, right? And ultimately, that data is a currency in itself. They were able to monetize the data that they were holding through loyalty cards, whether it's the club card, whether it's the nectar card, whether it's an advantage card or a loyalty card, whatever it is, you're holding data that's going to enable you to give insights about your consumers that shop within your premises. And for a brand that's producing products that are stocked on the shelves, that's hugely valuable. How many of my products have I sold? What's the sales lift or the measurement study behind that? So typically, a CPG will you know, do a huge amount of advertising and spend a huge amount of money across multiple channels of TV programmatic, social, web, email, but never be able to tie that back to how many did I actually sell in store? What was my sales lift? But if you then are able to marry and marry that data from in-store, which is in inverted commas offline, with signed in or identity-based metrics for your campaigns, you can start to really demonstrate sales lift from oh, they saw that ad there, or they engaged with that ad there, or they engaged with that journey there before they went in store and bought that product. So that's where we see that retail media networks or that walled garden is starting to really play a massive role in understanding the consumer journey and filling voids, because previously that's just unattainable, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I was like Amazon in the past, and now... It sounds like other retailers have the opportunity that they can start building their own data and getting values from it. And, but how does that, what's the imp- implication then, the, I suppose, the smaller retailers and like don't have that data or can't access that? I mean, does that mean they're being, being kind of left behind? 
I don't know. What, what do you class as a smaller retailer? Are we talking about independent independents and corner shops? Yeah, or well, just, I suppose maybe a bit bigger than that, but maybe you don't have the same volume or the, it means they don't have the whole press the cards, lordy cards, big setups uh, that those big brands would have. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, if you're a retailer and you've got a sizable footfall that's going through, if you haven't set up that sort of foundational first party data collection through loyalty schemes or customer accounts, then you're losing out. But I don't think I just I think everybody's doing it right. I went into Denby's in in a, for crockery and knew just to replace some of the bowls and plates that the kids had broken. <laughs> And they asked for my email address and they asked for that data. They asked to send me the receipt via email. So they're collecting that data. So I think that, yes, if a retailer or isn't collecting that data, it's a missed opportunity. But I think if you are a brand, the the first and foremost thing to think about is, is that what am I doing with the data that I collect? And then secondly, what value can I extract out of it and what can I share? And who can I collaborate with? Because the reality is, is that, you know, understanding the customer journey and understanding what the customer looks like is a sum of multiple parts, right? Um, You've got your persona. So you've got your, you know, your preferences and your attitudinal stuff, which is your cantars and your YouGovs. Then you've got your demographics, which can be your experience, your CACI. Then you've got your cross-market buyer analysis, which is the likes of, you know, IRI or MasterCard, and then you've got your in-market buyer analysis, which is when you collaborate and connect with retailers, right? So you're understanding the in-market signals. Only by joining those all up together can you have that true holistic picture of the customer journey, but also the customer profile and what they look like, find more of the same. And I think the danger that we have as an industry, more, more to the point, is that you know, people rely on customer data platforms to be able to give them all those answers. But the reality is, is that without having those collaboration points in tow, there will be a piece of the pie that you're missing. And that will that will impact how effective your marketing is later on. Right. I think I have the answer, but I, I guess, I mean, is this the new norm going forward, do you believe? I think it's the start of the new norm. I really do. When you start to look at some of the things that, retailer networks are starting to do the car fours the walmarts the tescos the boots you know uh, the forming of specific media arms within it which is about delay data collaboration and connectivity that coupled with the rise of first party data collection and then the ability to co-mingle data together in a compliant way it is the new norm because you start to move away from historic nature of buying audiences based on volume and size and generic taxonomies to something that's far more granular and specific to your brand and your business. So I do think it's the new norm. I just don't think we've seen what the new norm necessarily will end up like. But it's a really exciting time to be in in the data space and collaboration yeah. space. I mean, how difficult, I mean... We obviously we tell us a force code as root, but I mean, how difficult from somebody starting from scratch with data to get up to speed and actually start getting value? I mean, is it a major investment in technology, software? I don't think it's a major investment in technology, 
I think it's more about understanding where you are on that journey. So, you know, you could be a brand that's, you know, 100 years old and you've sold specifically through a reseller network and it's been really, really successful for you and your business has changed, but you still need to sell more. So we would call that, you know, a foundational client. So you'd start by utilizing premium data sources to build out your audience methodology and your audience hypothesis. You'd then move into an intermediate stage where once you start to collect that first party data and bring it in, you start to use that as your seed audience to craft and refine your audience taxonomy for what great looks like. And once you've nailed those first two bits, you're then starting to move into something that's slightly more exciting, which is all about retain loyalty, growth, lifetime value, and collaboration and connectivity with a much wider wider ecosystem because you have your first-party data foundation. You now have a premium partner data foundation with premium partners that you know are good for your brand, know are good for your business. And then you potentially have your your reseller network, which is giving you all of the sales data that you just don't, you can't touch because it's outside of your, your ecosystem. And then that starts to add real value. And I don't think there are many brands that are quite at that latter stage. There are definitely retailers who are starting to offer that value trade-off at the moment. Yeah, interesting. How about, I mean, the whole retail experience now going from online, I mean, those retailers that are, you know, just uh, on the high street, how have they coped in the last two years? Are they adapting? Have you seen major changes in that space? Is it going to change the future? Yeah, I think the changes have been apparent with the media networks that have been sold, set up, okay. right? The drive towards a digital first approach is huge. I think I've never seen so much noise online about bricks and mortar establishments that are now you know huge media entities in their own right right they've become media monoliths because they know that a vast majority of their audience no longer comes into their store ones that were traditionally there so they're utilizing their online a cap- capability, but they're also utilizing the data that they hold to then garnish and improve and help their stockists, their supply chain for products. So it's an iterative approach. And I don't think it's finished. I think the rise of mini walled gardens is going to be huge. I think what we are going to see in the next 12, 24 months is a new ecosystems of collaboration and connectivity that enables data to be shared and utilized far easier because you know with every walled garden just like we've seen with google for the past sort of 15 20 years is that nobody wants to share data everybody thinks that their data is more important than another person's but the reality is is that collaboration and connectivity will improve the experience for both parties or multiple parties yeah, oh yeah, because this, uh, this, I mean, this is like selling on, is that like selling data on the third parties? Is that kind of, kind of flavor or not? Is that what you mean by collaboration? Yeah. I mean, look, listen, collaboration can be two things. It's two, it basically is two people who hold first party data. Right. 
who then license or permission the use of that data to a partner. So they both have a direct relationship with that interaction or that consumer. And they're, they're then licensing based on how they've collected that data or permissioning it to another party to be able to use it to improve the experience or the interaction with them. Yeah, incredible, Robert. Really incredible. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing where, where it's going with data. I mean, what else has happened? I mean, is there anything else exciting happening in the space? I mean, look, listen, there's always something exciting happening in digital because, and that's why I love working in it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that until we start to see what people land on, where as everything starts to settle with the demise of the third party cookie, uh, with Ads Data Hub, which is Google's solution for a whole new raft of tracking, reporting, and measurement alongside the unified ID piece with the trade desk, alongside the ramp ID with live ramp, the integrations with multiple DSPs and SSPs. So everything's changing at the moment, and there isn't one consistent piece other than everybody knows identity or people-based marketing is definitely the way forward. It would be better to target a hundred people when you know 80 are in market than right. a million people when only two are in market. It's not rocket science, but it's quite hard for people to move away, away from the, the quantity metric. Volume always seems far more appealing than quality, right? Quality versus quantity yeah. or quantity versus quality, whichever one it is. Yeah. How would hold the data previously then? How's that? I mean, are people? more open to sharing that data now with these retailers you find in your experience? Or is that still a big challenge in terms of data privacy? I think data privacy is still going to be huge. I don't okay. think we're anywhere near finished what it's going to look like. I think it's a continuously moving feast as the discipline grows. I do think that we're still set to see what changes are going to happen when it comes to GDPR, EU Data Directive, rolling out from the states, DCPA, and different organizations and different countries will, f- will start to ebb and flow. So I think we're, we're still seeing definitely huge things happening with data protection. And yeah, it's, watch this space. <laughs> Fantastic, Alan. This is much appreciated for coming on today. No, you're um, welcome. If, so if, if anyone would like to get in contact with you or learn a bit more about you, what's the best way? Yeah, reach out. You can send me an email to oliver at clander.com or oliver.clander at liveramp.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. Fantastic, Oliver. Listen, thank you for your time today. I much appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Ken.